Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Come on, let's just be honest about it. There, okay. there are far more kind of weighty things that neither of us have seen that it would be more embarrassing to reveal we hadn't watched but you've not watched a single episode of um sex and the city now why not i think did it come out in the early 2000s yes yeah i think i was already um i think i was i'm i must have just been doing Domestic tasks. My mind was neither on cities nor sex, to be perfectly honest. So the notion of four beautiful women indulging in their visceral senses Mm. in Manhattan just somehow didn't ring true to your life as you wiped another very strange liquid off a surface. Is that that the reason I didn't watch it, though? Was it on Channel 4? So I remember watching it in box set form. I guzzled oh, okay. the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah. that would have been uh, definitely early 2000s. And there was something... It's it, For me, it was far enough removed from my own reality to be... Oh, not that removed. ...entertaining, but with enough in it for me to be able to really enjoy it. Yeah. And I think because... Uh, you know, everybody was either single or... I mean, that was the point of the, of the show. show. Of the show, yeah. Uh, or, you know, destined to try and be in a couple. Or but Do you know what it did, Jane? I think it was one of the first shows that I ever watched where being single wasn't always portrayed as a status you had on the way to being part of a double. Okay. So there were elements of joy involved, yeah. certainly in Samantha's existence. And that was Kim Cattrall. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I have interviewed Kim Cattrall. I interviewed her once about um, insomnia. She had terrible insomnia for a while. I think she's a bit better now. I hope so. Gosh, so do I. And um, then she was involved in a campaign to save Sefton Park in Liverpool because she is. She was born in Liverpool, wasn't she? Yeah, you've lost me now. <laughs> I also thought the wardrobes in Sex and the City were just superb. So Sarah Jessica Parker's character, it was just so out there, everything that she wore. Right. You were kind of tuning in. You know, to see... To see her yep. garments. Yep. Well, you can see her now in the West End if you've got 300 quid. Well, you better explain that reference. Because she is in... A, is it a Neil Simon play in London at the moment? With her husband, actual real-life husband. Matthew Broderick. And apparently it's... it's Well, it's if you're two megastars and you do a show together, you're going to get both uh, adoration and uh, people are waiting to pounce as well, aren't they? So some, apparently the most expensive tickets are 300 quid. Uh, and some of the reviews have been a bit lukewarm. Uh, what's it called? The something sweet? Uh, Plaza Suite. The Plaza Suite, yeah. 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 But the 300 quid one, because obviously we've read the same article, I mean, it does, it includes beverages. And oh! You've got your own private well. little kind of foyer area, okay. and they bring the ice cream to you. Oh, you've said So, I mean, in, in a West End theatre, yes. uh, by the time you've added all of those things in, if you just pay 50 quid for your ticket, mm. you're quite close to, well, you're definitely over three figures, aren't What you? about toilet? Well, they've got your own toilet facilities. Not individual, but you don't have to oh, queue up with the whole of the upper circle. Yeah, you might have a 
little designer potty. Well, you're seat. always you're always very rude about my solution to this problem. So you know, what was your solution? Well, it's the truck, isn't it, that goes round at <laughs> interval time. The massive fees, up outside the fees wee truck, fees wees. Come on, ladies. Anyway, the reason we were talking about this in the first place, when the whole business of doing a podcast rudely interrupted our our binter banter, uh, was that our guest today is Candace Bushnell. Oh, well done for reeling it back in. I did. I got there. That's good. Uh, Candace, or as one of our colleagues wrote in a script, Candance Bushnell. <laughs> She must have had all name. kinds of pronunciations. Yeah, she, yeah, no, she must have done. Yeah, they wouldn't have called me Candance, I tell you. Uh, anyway, she is interesting, and not least because she has something to say about E. Jean Carroll, uh, a name that has been obviously a lot of people in Britain will know the name. They won't be sure of who she is uh, or what she did to come into the orbit of Donald Trump. But anyway, that's later in the interview, isn't it? It is. That's just what we call in the trade a little tease. Yes. <laughs> Quite a lot of little teasers in our trade, aren't they? Really we'll name are. them. <laughs> Okay, uh, so look, quite a few people have seen All of Us Strangers, so mm. this is the movie that's just set you off on one. Yes. Jill is in Southend-on-Sea. Uh, my wife and I saw All of Us Strangers at the weekend. The trailer looked fun and the AT soundtrack was right up our street. I just didn't expect the three-tissue sob-fest that followed. Three? But having grown up gay in the 80s and losing my dad to a heart attack when I was 14, it really hit home. I love the juxtaposition of the coming out experience of the two characters from slightly different generations. Until people stop assuming heterosexuality, we have to keep coming out over and over throughout our lives. And even now in my 50s, there's an element of steeling oneself against the internalised shame and fear, something that I hope today's queer youth don't feel quite so much of. Do you know what? I think it's such a good point to make and, uh, you know, us as heterosexuals do not understand that. The fact that you have to tell people over and over again in your lifetime yeah. something about yourself that we've never, ever once actually had to say. No, because you don't normally say, I'm a... I'm well, I struggle. I say I have said for many years I'm a retired heterosexual. I think yeah. that's probably still true. But, but we're heteronormative. Um, aren't we're we? heteronormative. We don't, we don't have to say um, that. But you shouldn't ever have to feel that way, should you? And I think um, I think there's probably a completely different reaction if you have had that experience as Jill has. The bit of the film that struck me, and I think would affect a lot of people of around my age, much don't get no, too no, much is just the whole parenting. It's okay. just, it's just about parenting and about um, the mistakes you make and you know you've made, um, and your desire to do it better. Uh, but I mean, other people will see what they'll get whatever they want out of this film. I, I keep saying how brilliant it is, and I'm not going to stop saying that. Uh, Keith said, I'm a gay man. I was so pleased that you are recommending All of Us Strangers. Uh, it has so much to offer as a film, uh, a wonderful exploration of love and grief. It took me back to coming out to my parents, a Saturday I will never forget but always an important step in each queer life. I feel so fortunate that I was able to tell them before my mum died and that she lived to see me enjoying life with my civil partner after a feeling initially like the mum that Claire Foy plays. Uh, she did think that a gay life might be difficult and lonely, but she saw that we could enjoy life and it would be lovely for her to know that we're still together over 20 years later. I think it's a beautiful movie, says Keith, with four actors at their best and most tender. And that is true. They're all, I mean, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal get a lot of attention, but uh, Claire Foy and Jamie Bell is a brilliant actor. He is such a brilliant actor. And he is the uh, man who played Billy Elliot, and he's now 
this. But he's, he's a grown-up. He's just a proper grown-up. It's just a great fit. Anyway, I can't go on too much more about it. Alan is another uh, listener who's seen it. I want to share my reaction, he said. Um, I'd expected going in to empathise with the main character as a single gay man about to hit 40. And I was indeed really emotionally engaged with the story. But at the end, I was surprised to leave the cinema feeling a bit angry. I've been reflecting over the last couple of days as to who or what that anger was aimed at. Maybe the film for the way it ended, no spoilers, he says, the marketing for selling me a different viewing experience than the one I actually had, or the world in general for experiences of bullying I had in my own childhood. Nonetheless, I am really glad I watched it and had such a visceral reaction to it. Um, thank you, Alan. And I'm sorry that in some ways it, it disappointed, or as you say, angered you. I just think a reaction of any kind is is a, a success, isn't it? Um, if you make something that makes people ponder afterwards rather than just go home and never think about it again, then that's got to be success. Very much so. How did you feel when you uh, came back from seeing Jungle Cruise? Well, I, <laughs> my life was changed. I, every time I hear the name Dwayne Johnson, I am transported. It was the same cinema, you know, which I saw all of us strangers. But you're right, Fee, to point to the difference in those... <laughs> In those cultural excursions. Oh, sorry, it was it was very low hanging fruit. Yes, that was horrible. And I snatched it. It wasn't horrible. You laughed oh, through the tears. <laughs> Don't be silly. Um, uh, pimps and prostitutes. I mean, if you're going to title your email like that, yeah, it's probably got quite a good chance of getting read out. It's from Bridget. Uh, and she just wants to go back to the chat about talking to reluctant children about the facts of life. Do you know what? People were really helpful about this subject, weren't they? We had some top tips. Mm. Um, and uh, Bridget says she's always prided herself on having very open conversations with my boys about anything they ask. Having once been told that eight's too late, and if you don't start the easy flow of conversation young, they often find it difficult to ask awkward questions when it really matters. When I first read that, Gosh. I thought, do you mean 8pm at night? I, I, that's when I read it. I thought, oh, 8 o'clock, well, I, I would have put them to bed at 7. <laughs> exactly, it's never going to go in at 8.30. <laughs> this tactic, says Bridget, has gone very well so far, but I found myself hurtling out of control down the metaphorical mountain the other day when my nine-year-old innocently asked me what I thought of rap music, particularly Snoop Dogg. I told him I loved rap but whilst liking Snoop's music I didn't think much of him as a person as during his murky past he had once been a pimp. No sooner had the words left my mouth than I realised I was staring to, into the abyss of then having to explain not only what a pimp was but also having to tackle the domino effect question of prostitution. It was a roller coaster of unprepared pretend calm which I felt went rather well considering until the next day when my husband took the boys out for a surf and was informed by the said nine-year-old that he knew things. Oh and then proceeded to download this barrage of exciting information. Luckily, he had forgotten the word for prostitute, so I dodged a bullet there, but as a giggling friend who had been through something similar, talking about clitorises with her daughters told me, sometimes less is more. Perhaps my parents had it right all along when they plonked us down in front of David Attenborough and didn't correct us when we called sex mating until we were at least ten. And that comes from a very happy all-boys household. We even went male on the cockerel and the dog. Far better for me to be the only schemer. I love that admission. Mm. Uh, a cockerel? Why, does, why do they have a cockerel? 
I don't know. Bridget okay. doesn't say. No, I think we need to know. We need to know. Well, I, I mean, it's quite strange to just have a cockerel with no hens, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, what's the benefit? I just, just an Can't you afford up, an alarm clock? Early wake-up call. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's just a bit odd, isn't it? Um, this is a very serious one. Uh, these stories about birth memories are oh. quite intriguing, aren't they? So the thing about getting something stuck around your neck mm, in yeah. the birth canal, so the umbilical cord so many people have then got this terrible yeah. triggering thing in adult life. Well, um, it's obviously real to them, isn't it? Um, Jane and Fee, listening today to the email from the woman who was born with the cord around her neck, I was taken back 50 years. While giving birth to my daughter, there were sudden urgent cries of don't push, just pant, don't push, the cord is around the neck. Well, Emma was eventually born safely and has grown into a beautiful daughter. However, she cannot bear anything around her neck. No rollbacks, no tight scarves or necklaces. That's from Liz. And there's another one from Christina. Uh, like your listener, I too, Janet, that was the listener in question here. Like your listener, Janet, I too was born with the cord wrapped around my neck and I cannot stand turtlenecks. Also, when I suffer from anxiety, it always feels like my neck is being squeezed. The plot thickens, says Christina. So I okay. wonder whether there are other connections as well. So maybe if you were a, you know, a forceps birth or a von Tu's birth, whether you have a similar kind of thing about, you know, stuff around your head. Well, I was a forceps birth. And do you have things, you know, if somebody touches your head or, you know, you're in a... A tight, I don't know how often you're in a tight headlock. It's, it's not that kind of radio show. <laughs> I haven't got anything to bring to this party. Lord knows I like to talk about myself, but no, as far as I'm aware, that hasn't ever been an issue. I wear okay. the occasional beanie in inclement weather, okay. and I, I don't seem to suffer from it. Yeah. No. Well, look, let's broaden it out and see yeah. whether there's anything yes. aside from the weirdness around necks that yeah. we can find, because then we're on to something. And yeah, we we could both go and do a PhD at well, a prestigious university. What I'm thinking. I mean, are we wasted here? Should we actually be at Imperial College? Probably. Yes, I, I, I do think so. Uh, with our grasp of detail. <laughs> with, certainly with my scientific abilities. Oh, that reminds me. Some interesting um, emails from you on the subject of tech. We'll get to those in a moment. But just being practical, um, from Tanya in Amsterdam, a tip about car seats. Uh, car seat tip, she says. There's a little-known company called Multimac, which creates car seats that can be fitted into any car and seats three or four children from birth to 12 years. Not sure this is the right platform, but thought you could pass on to June, who was asking about this. Save me from having to get an SUV for my three kids. Might be helpful for other parents in the same situation. Not cheap, but if you weigh it up against buying a new car and three car seats multiple times, it's got to be worth it. Tanya's in Amsterdam. So the name of the company is Multimac. There we are. You um, never know. We have had some updates as well, haven't we, on little fut-fut cars. Yes. So the ones in France that you're allowed to drive, somebody did uh, point out that part of the reason uh, is because, uh, you know, some communities are so rural in France, many communities are mm. so rural, that you do need, uh, you know, you need something that you can drive irrespective of age or ability, I suppose. So that might explain it, but so many people have said, you know, the the idea that, that these are then vehicles that are driven by youths or people who've lost their licence mm. through drink driving and stuff. I mean, they're just exactly the kind of people that shouldn't be on the roads at all. And certainly not in a potentially rather 
puny sounding vehicle. I mean, it doesn't sound as though the vehicle would offer the person in charge of it much protection no. in the event of an quite, incident. Quite fragile. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's a listener called Sharon who says, I'm listening while cooking Coco Riesling. Mm-hmm. That would be, wouldn't that be very sweet? She says it's chicken stew. Yeah, we, we're not that thick, Sharon. Might be our previous listener's cockerel in the stew there. You never know, do you? Coco, is it Riesling or Riesling? I don't... I think you could probably do either, but okay. but isn't that quite a sweet wine? Uh, just don't know. OK. No, it's German, isn't it? Uh, and my ears pricked up... Did you notice the way I just said that? Just in case people didn't know. <laughs> just to show my... Just my... I may not be a wine drinker, but I'm somebody who knows wine. Uh, my ears pricked up at the mention of voiture sans permis. We spend a lot of... T- That's French. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Um, messy. We spend a lot of time in France and we call them putt-putts because of the noise they make. They travel at about 10 miles an hour and hold up all the traffic. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, used primarily by people for banned from driving or drinking. In fairness, this is what you've just said, isn't it? It is. Is it because you read this email? Yes. That you had that information? Écoutez et répétez. <laughs> I actually think, says Sharon, it's an essential option because there's generally zero public transport in rural areas and Tesco home deliveries just don't reach that far. Other supermarches are available. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, um, yeah thank you for doing that. Uh, somebody had suggested that we, had, we actually do have a similar rule in this country. And we yeah. probably do, don't we? Because you could probably... Uh, you could drive your, your lawnmower or your golf caddy around couldn't you without a license but probably not on a dual carriageway imagine if you were i mean it's not a joke at all but if you were banned from driving and you just took your golf buggy up the m5 i think that's i think that's the point you probably can use it on smaller roads but just not on motorways Right. I think your golf caddies always make me laugh because you just always see the worst men in the world favour a golf caddy, don't they? <laughs> Donald Trump's always bouncing out of Mar-a-Lago in a massive golf caddy. And whenever I see them, I just think you're, you're just probably, if you're not a criminal, you're probably just not very nice. <laughs> well, you don't think, you think Donald Trump might be not very nice? Gosh, you've absolutely <laughs> amazed me today. Have you seen the stuff about his hair dye? No, what's that? <laughs> the reason his hair is that really weird colour is that it's supposed to be another colour but he can never sit still long enough for the dye to take effect so he just kind of gets up and wanders off and so he's left with that what would you call it <laughs> I don't know well I mean it's a little bit uh, it's a bit cat's piss isn't it That's <laughs> what it is. but also I'd really like to see his hair when it's unfolded <laughs> And laid out in the evening, or is it at night? Well, they're not going to know. Hopefully, neither of us are ever going to find out. Uh, more on him later. Uh, Amy says, um, paper bag twizzling, or swizzling, as she calls it, which I, I think it is swizzling, to be fair. Uh, twizzling, she then says in the email, paper bags of fruit or veg, or in my case, pastries, I worked in a bakery, is all about confidence. If you overthink it or chicken out, then the manoeuvre can be quite tricky. But if you just go for it with a confident flick of the wrist, there's nothing more satisfying. (laughs) Even now, says Amy, if I buy something in an open paper bag, I'll always swizzle it on the way home. Wow. You see, if you've got it, you never lose it. But I guess you've got to keep up the practice. What a sight that must be. Mm. Uh, Shall we go into our big interview and... 
Or do you need to do something else first? Oh, just to say that um, lots of emails about Dame Stephanie Shirley, um, who was the um, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and uh, once, as a, a young girl, had come to England on the kinder transport in 1939. She's now 90. And she was on the podcast on Thursday, actually, and lots of people just saying that um, she was an inspirational figure, but also talking, as we were yesterday, about how hard it can be for young women to get into tech and engineering sorts of careers and anonymous says, my daughter's in her final year studying for an engineering degree at uni. In her class of over 100, there are 15 girls. And I do think it's fair to say she has encountered issues with some of her male contemporaries. She did describe a group project in the first year where she, the only female in her group, did the lion's share of the workload and then discovered some of the males confidently talking over her in the final presentation, although they hadn't done much prior to that. In her second year, a different group, again, she was the only female. This time she was ignored, but when any of the males chipped in, the group started to communicate with each other and not to her. She is growing in confidence, but how do you tackle behaviour like this without sounding petty? Um, it's difficult, isn't it? And it goes back to what we were saying yesterday about the more young women and girls there are in those environments, the easier it will be for the girls who are there. But it still sounds pretty difficult at the moment. I should also say, one of my my youngest daughter is sharing a house. She's got a great friend at uni who's doing engineering. But they do work hard. The, en- the mechanical engineering and engineering students, and I don't mean to be dismissive of people like my child doing a humanities degree, but they do work really, really hard. And they are going to save us, aren't they? Well, I I do, I really do think that they will. Yeah. yeah. And um, they deserve huge kudos. I, I do think it is harder for them at the moment, the, the girls, to do those degrees and a huge respect for those who do. Yeah, I would be interested uh, in seeing some statistics, and I will search these out myself, uh, about the balance of genders in apprenticeships. Because mm. it's when you go into the workforce as well, isn't it, that you really need uh, a bit of backup. You just need a bit of backup anyway. But you know, yeah. if, you're, if you're coming from a discipline where you felt that you're in the minority, uh, I think entering the workplace, you must need quite, I don't know, maybe just... A, a, a feeling of strength that you might not have been able to, to gain. Yeah. Because that's yeah, yeah. one of the damaging things, isn't it, when there's an imbalance in any room. You know, it just makes you feel weaker than you actually are. Yeah. Because you're not, you're not weak, but no. if you don't see someone who's prepared to back you up, it's the backing you up, isn't it? Yeah, it's support. Um, it's yeah. always support. Verbal and otherwise. And you need that backup in the room in the moment. Not afterwards. There's no good somebody coming up to you and saying, oh, I wish I would have I would have said, I would have agreed with you, but... Yeah. And isn't it a shame, Jane, because actually I bet that half of those young men, you know, who are talking to each other instead of talking to a young woman mm. in the room are doing that because they they have an uncertainty about them as well. Yeah, So because they're all young. It's not to assume misogyny. I no. think quite often it's vulnerability that leads to that gap being wide and... Yeah. You know, we've all just got to find a better way of saying we're all the same. You know, let's share a bit more of the bits we understand about each other. Uh, So those are all enormous conversations uh, that you're very welcome to join in on. We're Jane and Fee at times.radio and we probably have had all of the pictures of the cats peeing that we can take. But there is a suggestion that we might do a little Instagram library. So (sighs) that's going to come your way uh, sometime over the next couple of days. I think Henry, actually, the executive producer, is going to put that together. Well, there was a time fee when you and I were loosely connected to journalism. Uh, those days are behind us. Yeah. But um... Now we're just doing montages of feline piss. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh. right. that's right. 
But now let's move on to <laughs> today's interview, uh, which is with Candace Bushnell. Yeah. Uh, so she was primarily here to tell us about her new project, which is a stage show rave reviews and all of that, uh, called True Tales of Sex, Success and Sex and the City. Uh, just in case you only really know her with her affiliation to Sex and the City, uh, she is a journalist and it was a column that she was writing in the New York Observer that first provided the kind of creative spark for what then went on to become Sex and the City. And that column was about her experiences as a young woman, a single young woman, coming to the city with not very much money and trying to make it. And at the time, uh, I think we need to put this into context, don't we? That would have been the early 1990s. And writing about your single life and including references to a sex life as a singleton is just so much rarer than it is now. I mean, let's face it, now it seems to be, well, quite common. (laughs) And you can interpret that in both ways. You can, yes. Got my permission. Yeah. Um, But as Jane mentioned earlier, because Candace has been around quite a long time in the world of journalism, she does know a lot of people, including E. Jean Carroll, and she's got some thoughts about her colleague being caught up in one of the most extraordinary Mm. defamation cases. Yes, and we should say probably that we we spoke to Candace before Donald Trump was ordered to pay this extraordinary amount of damages, which was £65 million in our money, uh, for defaming the journalist E. Jean Carroll. And then in a previous civil case, Donald Trump uh, was found to have defamed her and sexually assaulted her in the 1990s. So that just gives you um, all the context you need. So we started off by asking her to tell us a little bit about her new stage show. It's called True Tales of Sex, Success and Sex in the City. And that's exactly what it is. It's the origin story of Sex in the City, how I created Sex in the City, how hard I worked to get there, why I invented Carrie Bradshaw, and what happened to me afterward. And along the way, during the show, I answer some of the questions that I've been asked over the years, like, was there a real Mr. Big? So we talk about the real Mr. Big. And talk a bit about, you know, did I have three friends like the ones on the TV show, a Charlotte, a Miranda, and a Samantha. And of course I had lots and lots of girlfriends. And we also play a game, real or not real, because there's so many things that happened in the TV show that happened in my real life, but they're either better or worse. That so, is a game I want to play, Candice. What kind of things? Can you give us a, just a couple of examples of real or not real? Well, you know, I didn't actually do this on purpose, but I realized that a few of the real or not real questions have to do with guys who carry dated on the TV show and whether or not I dated those guys in my real life. And I have to say, it's pretty funny. And it's also, you know, as one woman women shows are, it's also a bit of my life story, you know, the classic story of somebody coming to New York to make it, and with a couple of saucy little sex stories thrown in for good measure. Well, so it's a great girls' night out. I'm sure it is fantastic. Uh, we will talk about Mr. Big in a moment, but we are not going to talk about a man before we talk more about you as a woman, Candice. And I was wondering, what originally gave you the confidence to write? You find yourself new to a city with not yeah. very much money in your pocket, 
But somewhere inside you, you have the confidence to tell your story. Well, that is one of the, that's one of the stories that I tell in True Tales. How I came to the city, how I knew that I wanted to be a writer, and and that happened at a very young age. How I moved to New York at basically 18. And what that experience was was like and how determined I was. So it was something that it had been in me since I was a kid. I just knew I was going to be a writer someday and I was going to live in New York. And when I had the opportunity, I just jumped. I did it, which is what you do when you're 18 because you don't know any better. You know, the fact that you have $20, that doesn't actually deter you. And also at the time when I I moved to New York, $20 seemed like a lot of money. So there you go. Mm. Did you find that you met resistance at all in wanting to tell the stories of women who didn't want children? I think there's an acceptance now of that and it's borne out by the statistics, isn't it? But but back then, actually, I think the social pressure was still very much on women to be the walking womb. It, you know, it was, but it wasn't in New York City. In the New York City that I was in, it was there were so many successful, ambitious women who were coming to New York like I did to make it. And, you know, it's that the the truth about New York City, if you feel like you don't fit into your small town, you move to New York where you find other people who are like you. And you're not going to find those people in your small town, but you find them in New York City. And the fact that I had so many just really self-actualized women friends in the 90s who were you know, a bit like they were really like the characters on Sex in the City. They had careers, they were ambitious, they were go-getters, and they were not married, and they didn't have kids. So for me, it didn't seem at all strange. And it was a time when people were, I mean, I have to say when Sex in the City first came out, people were shocked because there really weren't supposed to be any single women in their 30s. That was considered like, whoa, it's sort of a taboo. Now, of course, it's, you know, it's a it's a pretty normal state of affairs, right? To be single in your 30s, you're working in your career, you're discovering yourself, and you're becoming self-actualized. So you know, all of those great things. So for me, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't strange. I think maybe out there in the world, it's maybe a different story. If you were to reimagine Mr. Big for 2024, how different would he be? Um, Would he be smaller? (laughs) Would he be be Mr. Medium? (laughs) Maybe he would be Mr. Media. <laughs> um, you know, with the big man on campus, I mean, I called him Mr. Big because he was the big man on campus. So who would be the big man on campus now? It would probably be a tech guy. Mm. Like, um, you know, that we work guy, Adam, I can't remember his last name. Uh, but it would probably be a tech guy who started 
some kind of app or I mean, maybe it would be a younger Elon Musk. So, oh, there you go. imagine that. Well, I don't want to. Please tell us you don't find Mr. Musk an attractive proposition. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, no, good. I, good. No. But I quite like his mother. His mother, May, is great. I love her. She's very, she's always really nice to me when I see her. So, so that makes me feel good. Yeah. She's great. I'm super sure, cool. I'm sure she is great and she's super cool and she's super beautiful, but I really wish that she'd taken him aside, actually. Elon, that is. Maybe just had a few words. Look, this is a different interview yes, for a different time. It definitely is. Jane is going to ask some very specific questions about modern politics now. Well, um, Candice, uh, you are someone Probably who's... not the best at modern politics. Well, OK, well, try this one. Uh, you've been in and around New York, as you say, uh, for a, a long time, and you have moved in the same circles as Donald Trump. Uh, when you first met him back in the day, what was what was he doing and what was he like? Well, I mean, the first, I think probably the first time I saw Donald Trump was at Studio 54. The nightclub. Yes, the nightclub, Studio 54. And, and then probably another time when I saw him was he restored Woolman Rink, which was a wreck forever. And he managed to restore it. And I was walking through Central Park and and I guess they were having some sort of ribbon cutting and, you know, he was there, you know, waving. And, you know, I actually haven't had very many encounters with him. I mean, I used to see him in the 90s when I was writing Sex in the City. He used to go out quite a bit with, um, I think, Marla Maples was his wife or girlfriend at the time. And but that's really it. So I've never really had any encounters with him but if but someone think, if someone had told you candace back in the 90s that what has happened was going to happen what would you have said no way no no what what makes you be so certain that you you would have found it so difficult to imagine was it something about trump himself well you know trump wasn't considered a terribly serious figure in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, Spy Magazine used to like take the piss out of him, you know, every month. He was like one of the people that Spy Magazine sort of targeted as being, you know, a bit of a joke. So, yeah, you know, I think at the time in the 90s, but I think he was, he'd gone bankrupt and, you know, there were all kinds of things going on but he got that tv show so that tv show was what really brought him out of new york and into people's living rooms and he turns out i think to have a great tv eq i think they call it where people want to see him on tv yes I and, and, you know we live in a time that is all about attention. We value attention, we reward people for attention. So things that were not so important before are hugely important now. And Donald Trump is a result of living in 
an attention-driven society. He's on TV a lot. He gets a lot of attention and he knows how to get attention. Uh, so there you go. Well, I know That's one of the realities. I know, Candice, that you have come across um, E. Jean Carroll, the woman who has accused Donald Trump of rape and a civil court found her account to be a, a true and accurate one. E. Jean Carroll is really known to those of us in the UK as a victim of, a, of an assault and we don't know anything else about her. What, what should people know about this woman? Well, E. Jean is, she's a real girl's girl. She's a real supporter of women, of other women. She's somebody who I, I knew a bit in the 90s and I really looked up to her. She's very accomplished, hardworking. I mean, she was really a career woman in New York. And what happened to her is the kind of thing that happened a lot in the 90s. And I, you know, I mean, I hesitate to say any of this because it's going to end up being like some kind of headline and I'm probably going to regret it. But, you know, the 90s was the time of, basically it was the casual rape where, you know, you might be out somewhere somebody assaults you and there's very little you can you can do about it i mean there are a lot of stories from that period of time now donald trump doesn't drink and he doesn't do drugs but a lot of people did in the 90s and you know you drink a lot you do a lot of cocaine people behave pretty badly so I mean, that's it's one of the classic realities of being a woman in a world of high powered men. And E. Jean Carroll, um, she can't win. I mean, she did win in the in the civil court. But uh, in the court of public opinion, there are still people saying, well, why didn't she report it earlier? He says he doesn't know her. Uh, what are we to make of it? What are we to make of it? Um, this is why we need more women in positions of power. The world needs to see women who are successful, who make their own money, who are in real positions of power. And that's really what we need to see. I mean, it's we we just tend to dismiss women because it's easy and you know she's not really in a position of power is she so there you go and why do you think it is that so many women are still prepared to vote for donald trump knowing what we do know about him because e Jean carroll's case is by no means the only case of a woman hurt by him no but you know what there was all the stuff about president clinton too don't forget that every single president has those kinds of black marks. I mean, not every single president, but quite a few. And that's what men do who are in positions of power. 
And also men who are not in positions of power, if they can get away with it. I mean, that's male behavior. Okay. And, you know, people are going to vote for Donald Trump because of the economy. You know, I mean, Biden keeps saying that the economy is good. It's great. But people don't feel it. They see inflation. And when Donald Trump was president, he put money in people's pockets during the pandemic. And people remember that. Would you vote for him? No. Candice Bushnell and the show premieres at the London Palladium on the 7th of February. It'll then be touring the UK so you could see her in Southampton, Nottingham, Cardiff, Manchester, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Birmingham, Oxford, Brighton, Leicester and Southend. T's and C's apply. Southend. Not very New York, is it? I'm not going to go there. No, I'm just saying it's it's not so much the Big Apple. Nice days uh, out there. Oh, right. Okay. Um, Interesting woman, isn't she? And um, I do think, I mean, it's depressing. Her take on male power is is depressing, isn't it? Um, I mean, she probably knows what she's talking about, but... Is it's it un- hard to hear. It yeah. is hard to hear. Are we un- being unreasonable? Is it unreasonable? Just to expect better, to hope for better. But there is better out there. I mean, you know, there People are... People don't vote for it, though. Well, I mean... Or they're inclined not to. You can't accuse Joe Biden of the very worst of things, can you? No. And you can't, can't accuse... Well, but that shouldn't make him... <laughs> it's pathetic. It shouldn't make have... him remarkable. No. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, it's really good that he's not he's not been found uh, likely to have sexually assaulted somebody. That's fantastic. Oh, dear God. Anyway, um, yes, I thought she was interesting. And it's just good to hear a, just a, well, a view of what life was like uh, at a time that perhaps most of us, or certainly I wasn't fully aware of what was, I mean, according to her, was apparently accepted mm. in male behaviour. So you and I have, have just been saying this until we're blue in the face, you know, what, what is also so remarkable but not remarked upon enough is the fact that men see this behaviour going on just as much as women, but it really has been left to women to call it out. So, you know, all of the men who surrounded Clinton, all of the men who surround Trump are probably witness to so many more things than an awful lot of women, apart from the women who are abused. And then it's just up to the, those lone yeah. women to become the you know the voice of accountability and outrage and to try and get justice and that's that's where it's wrong Jane it's mm. easier for men to call out other men than it is for a woman to call out a man and that's the bit that that still really makes me livid because because yeah. you just know that people will listen some people will listen to Candice Bushnell and in their head they will hear a shrill woman making loud judgments and they will hear misery but you have to have that in the conversation because there aren't enough men saying, why don't you stop doing that? Yeah. So, and let us all reserve a very special contempt for the women who are prepared to side with the men. Yeah. Well, there is <laughs> that. But, but, just actually, maddening. But, but actually contempt for the men who stand alongside Oh, yeah, no, ab- yeah, just, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, she is a life force, isn't she? And it was, um, it was very, very nice to talk to her. It was to exhausting her. to talk to her. I was quite tired. 
but, but very good. <laughs> very good. Right. You're right. Uh, now, Jane Rankin is upset with you because she had asked you to read a little piece that was that was being uh, oh, yeah, complimentary, and, and we didn't. And you no, no, so you me, don't have to do that. No, you do it. No, we don't have to do it at all, but let's just say hello to Jane Rankin because she sounds like a very nice person, and obviously I'm saying that because she said nice things about me. No, you do sound very nice, Jane. Yeah, yeah you sound absolutely lovely. Yeah. Yes, I love you more. <laughs> right, OK, that's quite enough. Uh, so get in touch if you'd like to. Uh, we need a new topic to throw in as well, don't we? What should we choose? Pen tapping? Pen tapping's good. Pen tapping. <laughs> Have you got a secret skill? I mean, I think paper bag twizzling or swizzling can be either. Is it a twizzle? Is it a swizzle? Is an amazing thing to be discussing because I just, in no part of my lifetime did I ever think I'd be talking about that. And I love it. Okay. I would love to have a conversation, actually, about the lost arts, the miniature lost arts. Yeah, exactly. That would be good, wouldn't the it? Things I think of, the things of beauty that just sort of lurk in the corner of our lives. Did you ever have one of those shoe cleaning boxes which had the raised wooden kind of shoe imprint on it? No. So they were wooden boxes, square yeah. wooden boxes. They were specifically for cleaning shoes. They absolutely were. Yeah. So you put all of your shoe cleaning stuff inside, all of your brushes and your waxes and all that kind of stuff. I actually miss the smell of shoe wax. That's a nice it smell. It is a nice smell. Yeah. And, and then you'd, put your, you'd, you'd shut the box and you'd put your foot on this raised bit. So when you bent down, your foot was at this angle. Oh, I see, yeah. 45 degree angle and it was easier to clean your shoes. Yeah. My kids don't clean their shoes or if they do clean their shoes, they'll get a wet wipe and just oh. wipe their shoes. Well, no, don't say it like that. They're absolutely beautiful, lovely kids, but shoe cleaning has just gone out of their lives. It's a lost art. Yeah. So there we are. Yeah, some of those would be terrific. Yeah. Okay. The lost arts, the special skills. Jane and Fee at Times Talk Radio. Goodbye. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man. It's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.